up, everybody? It is your homegirl, Lady Natasha Daniels. I hope that everybody is having a wonderful day thus far whenever you're listening to this. But listen, of course, it always drops on a Friday. So happy Friday to everybody. Um, I'm praying that you guys are having a wonderful day, uh, that the Lord is kind, that the Lord is good. So listen, right, if you haven't listened at all to any of the many podcasts that I've done, please make sure that you take a listen to them. Um, and those that have been repping it, I really appreciate it. I talked about it in season one, but I'll definitely let it be known again. I'm looking to come out with some GWG uh, merchandise, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, God is just so good, man. Um, but please like, share, tag, download, send this to Samani, send this to your friends. At this particular point, you know, my information <laughs> is over the airways, so it's not going to bother me, um, you know, for anybody else to hear what's going on. So please make sure that you share, like, tag, anything like that. And if there's a platform that it needs to be on, it's not on, please just let me know. And that way I could go ahead and let distributors know, hey, I need it here or I need it there. All right. So uh, I actually have a lot to talk about today because I, as you guys know, uh, my husband and I are pastors of a church, a powerhouse kingdom ministry, big up whoop, whoop, Mount Holly, New Jersey. If you have time, 1030. Yes, I will always be doing this 1030 a.m. You guys can come in and check us out here at Mount Holly, 400 Washington Street, uh, Mount Holly, New Jersey. Um but let's get into it today because I need to tell y'all why pastors are tired, okay? <laughs> and it's going to sound like real cliche and 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 I'm letting you know right now, there's a lot of things that us as pastors are tired of. I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. I've been blessed to to be in, in the pew, in the pulpit. I've been blessed to be an artist. I've been blessed to be a musician. I've been blessed to be the choir, you know, in the choir, choir director, uh, uh youth department president and you name it I've just about done it but I'm not gonna lie to you there is something there's a, a unique anointing on pastors for pastors but also there's a unique kryptonite against pastors um and so I want to make it very clear I am not coming at anybody's neck I am not talking about anybody else but myself today um but I do need to talk about something that I feel like is becoming cross um generational cross-cultural and then we can also find it in the bible you guys know how i get down i talk about something that's going on in my life and then i give you guys scripture or reference for it and for those of you guys who are listening who are pastors and who are preachers let me be clear i'm not eisegeting the text i actually take an opportunity praise the name of the lord uh to do some studying before i even get on here and make sure that it's appropriate um i don't just pull a scripture out because uh, tonight we're not even going to be talking about her today this morning we're not even going to be talking about you know a, a verse we're talking about a whole chapter um because the dynamic um needs to be talked about um so I'll have a podcast where I, where, you know, maybe one time, one day I'll get more real. And what I mean by more real is I'll give actual examples of some of the crazy things that happen um, and that pastors sometimes have to deal with. But today I want to talk strictly about something that's biblically based. Um, so if you got your Bibles, you know, that's cool. Flip to Luke. Luke chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible, it's cool. You can just take a listen because I'm going to baby step this I initially was going to get on here and talk about my a lot of experiences that I've had since pastoring um some of them pleasant and to be honest with you I say about 65 percent of them have not been pleasant um it is not an easy job and the bible says that you know pastors you know we come from the heart of God um 
or we have a heart after God. You know, we we're, we're, we're made and created um, after the heart of God and, and with his heart. Um, and I think that's extremely important to note as a pastor because it has nothing to do with preaching. Right. Pastoring has everything to do with the interaction of the flock. Okay, it has everything to do with the way that we interact with the flock, the way we shepherd the flock and the way that we guide the flock to wherever the Lord desires them to go. So it's important that a pastor, if you're not under a pastor that's submitted to God, run. You have my permission to run. Okay, you need to be under pastors that are submitted to God. And the reason why I say that is because. Pastors that are submitted to God, um, they're going to do things, say things that you may not understand, but your spirit will agree with it. Your flesh may not agree with everything, but your spirit will. That's number one. Number two, the other reason for that is because you have to understand that as pastors, there are things that we don't even agree with or understand when it comes to the requests that God has. Um, but we do what we can do with the most integrity so that God can get the glory. Um, so if you don't have a pastor that's submitted to God and you know that you know they're not submitted to God, you really need to go back in your prayer closet and evaluate your role at that local assembly. Whether it's a mega church or whether it's a five-member church, it doesn't matter. The, the, the role of the pastor is to shepherd the people but to also locally serve the community in conjunction with with the other fivefold ministry, with the other four ministry gifts, all right, which is the evangelist, the teacher, uh, the apostle, and the prophet. It should not just be pastors, okay? Pastors need the support of the other individuals or of the other roles in the fivefold ministry. And let me just say something there too. Anybody that says that the fivefold ministry is not essential, because I have heard people say that, you need to go back and study your Bible. God clearly tells us that the fivefold ministry is for the building up and the edification of the kingdom of God. So anybody who tells you otherwise or makes it seem like it's just pastors or just prophets or that is erroneous, that is not that is not the gospel that we should be following. The gospel that we should be following is that we evangelize and disciple people. All right. We evangelize to the lost and we disciple the saved. That that's the that's the the bare bone minimum that we should be doing. All right. So we'll get into that in a minute. Let me pray real quick. Father God, I bless you and I honor you. Thank you for this moment. And thank you so much for this time. I pray that I do you justice in everything that I do, that you would get the glory and that somebody would be able to see you through what I'm talking about. All right. In Jesus name. Amen. So I've got a thousand stories in my pastorate. Um, some people, you know, have come and gone into the ministry. Uh, me and my husband have not done everything right. Um, and what I mean by that is growing into the pastorate, even at a young age, you don't do everything right. I mean, if your kids did everything right, you know what I mean? You wouldn't, you wouldn't discipline them. <laughs> All right. So, so, so we're unexempt. Pastors are, are not exempt from the learning curve and the learning curve is God learning God and trusting it to be able or trusting us to be able to pastor the sheep. Um, we don't talk about it enough, you know, but Moses was a mega pastor <laughs> when he brought the people out of Egypt. There were millions of people there. There wasn't just 500 people or a thousand people like the Prince of Egypt shows us that they had multiplied so much. The children of Israel. Hence, that is why there was an issue from Jump Street, because the Egyptians were nervous and afraid that they would overpower them. So, yes, it took a few years, but 
even within that time, they had already populated or the Israelites were already in the millions. OK, so and I'm not I, I don't I don't know exactly how many. But the point is, is eventually, you know, Moses was already a mega pastor. All right. So he was a deliverer. He was a prophet. He was apostolic. He was he was a teacher. Um, and he also was um, a pastor. And 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 it's important for us to understand that that in a lot of these roles, we're not going to get everything right. Even the best of them that are in the book do not get it all right. All right. So so let's give everybody grace, you know, in the pulpit, let's give grace and in the pew, let's give grace. OK, but once again, I want to kind of talk about this um, today because I feel like there is a shift um, in the culture. There's not just a shift in the culture, but there is a shift in the church. And I want to prophetically speak against every individual that is esteeming themselves above the agenda of God. There is so much division in the body of Christ that it is difficult to pastor. Okay, pastors are having a hard time pastoring because the ones that are not pastors, it seems like they have more voice or they're more vocal about the walk that they're not living in than the, the one that they should be living in. And that's not necessarily what we're tired of, but it does tie into it because we are watching a paradigm and we are watching a divide in the body of Christ that social media allows, that we allow, that we talk about the church and God like we're dogs and like we're rags. And I can't say that every pastor has been perfect, but at least for me and my husband, we love God. And we treat God's people the best of our maturing ability, meaning we don't disrespect you. We don't we don't beat you down. But as we mature in God, we're maturing in how to handle you. All right. And so I was reading a scripture. I was reading the scripture. I was trying to figure out what am I going to talk about today? And the Lord sent me to the prodigal son. So for a lot of you guys, it's like, oh, here's a cliche. And I get it. You know, it, it can be. But have you ever looked at the prodigal son from the perspective of the type of members? Or from the type of individuals that we have to pastor. Oftentimes you see a compare and contrast in the scripture as it relates to two groups, two nations, many nations, but 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 good and evil. All right, Let, let's break it down in its simplest terms, which is good and evil. Then you'll see stuff like like um, 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 like Cain and Abel, right? They, they represent a, a good and an evil. Then you'll see stuff like Jews and Gentiles, right? In New Testament, you know, so you're constantly seeing that contrast between the heart of God and the heart of man. You're constantly seeing that contrast between religion and relationship, right? And we could break this down into many different forms, but I want to kind of make it as, as basic as possible so that I can tell y'all what, what, what pastors are tired of, all right? So let's jump into it. So, so I'm, I'm going to walk through most of, most of this text. So I only got a little bit of time to do it okay so so I need you guys to kind of bear with me because I've only got a little bit of time to get through a lot of this text all right so once again it's Luke 15 and so if you pay attention to the way that it's grouped the way that that this book is uniquely grouped it's grouped from the perspective of a story of an owner right that's losing it his his or her value because of the piece of a piece of the puzzle isn't present okay so let me say that again so in Luke 15, you're going to see a dynamic of the importance of an owner, whoever that may be. So one is talking about the, the, the lost sheep. 
And one is talking about the woman with the coins. All right. All this is in Luke 15. And what prompted this is the Pharisees and the scribes watching Jesus hang out with sinners. Okay. It was getting up underneath their skin. So what Jesus does is he starts talking about these parables and he's going line by line, line by line about the, about the importance of what happens when someone or something that the owner loses reconnects. Okay. So I want you to kind of keep that in mind because for years, when we hear about this story, we focus on the prodigal son and the prodigal son is extremely important, but it's not more important than the overall principle of Luke 15. Okay. All right. So, so let's go, let's kind of go line by line in this. Okay. Y'all stay with me. So we talk about the, the lost sheep. We're talking about the lost coin. And then we get into to verse 11, okay? And once again, I'm going to kind of take this line by line so that way we can kind of, so I can get to my point uh, of the of the podcast today, all right? So the younger son, right, we, we have this story where a man has two sons, okay? And the younger of them, he you know, he says to the father, hey, give me my share of my property that's coming to me. And the Bible says, and he divided his property between them, Okay, as verse 12 or around about verse 12. I want to make this very, very clear, right? Because I'm getting ready to change the dynamic of how we've been reading this story um, through the leading and guiding uh, uh, of Holy Spirit. I would like to, to, to give clarity to a different aspect so that way we could kind of talk about what's going on in the church today. Okay, so the younger son made a request, said, hey, let me get my stuff. Before the time of my inheritance, let me get my stuff. Okay. So the father says, okay, there is no, no deepness to it. The father says, okay, but here's the thing that the father does that I've missed for years. The Bible doesn't say that the father gave everything to the prodigal son. The Bible says that before he gave it, the before the father gave it, he divided it up and then gave him his portion. Now we've said that, or we've, we've preached that, but do you really understand that? Because if you understand that, then it's going to help you when I get to the end of this chapter. Okay. If the father already divided up the portions, then that means that your portion didn't go to the center. Let me say that again. Your portion is not going to the one that's making a selfish move at that moment if you choose not to be selfish. The father has already given or appropriated property and inheritance for each person that is connected to him. All right. So why am I saying that? I'm saying that because it's going to make sense by the time I get to the end of this end of the story for you to understand what your focus should be. So I want you to start asking yourself the question, hmm, there are two sons, which one am I, right? So it's up to the, to the younger son now who says, give me my stuff to steward his own inheritance. Can I help you? The father doesn't interfere. The father does not interfere on the fact that the immature or the younger son wants his inheritance prematurely. He actually gives it to him. Oh, Because I need you to see your father. I need you to see who God really is. All right. So so let's keep moving. So the son takes everything and he goes away. Right. And we all oftentimes look at him or the younger son as being this selfish, this selfish guy. 
And yes, we can potentially conclude that. Uh, but the bottom line is that, you know, he doesn't know how to steward it. He's aware of his father and it doesn't say how or why the son now has this realization that I want my stuff early. All we know is that he wants it early. The father gives it to him and he has not yet learned the responsibility of how to manage it, keep the inheritance and or build on the inheritance. Right. So I understand that as a pastor, there are going to be flock that come in to our churches that are not mature enough to handle the inheritance. Let me say this though, but it is not up to me if the father is willing to give them a portion of their inheritance for me to withhold it. In other words, if uh, 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 as a pastor, somebody comes in and the father says, put them in position. While somebody else may not understand that, and while there may be some errors made, during that time, you have no idea the full plan of God and what he's going to do, even though I know or we sometimes feel like that individual, the younger individual, the immature individual, because it's not an age thing. It's a maturity thing. The, the immature individual is not going to steward it right. Now, let me dispel the myth. Nobody can tear up the church. I know this is going to be a, a, a hot topic well pastor t i've been in churches and somebody was running rush in the church i get it I, I i'm not saying that you go ahead and you allow every person in your church to run rush but what i am saying to you because we have even done it in our ministry that there are things that need to be cultivated that can only be cultivated when a person hits rock bottom i know y'all don't like that but as the heart of the pastor Sometimes I don't know every aspect of how God is going to change this individual's life. We have a member in our church now that they will tell you without a shadow of a doubt, only God could have changed their life because the way that his life was going, only God could have changed it. He had to hit a very low place in his life for God to change it. All right. So I only got a few more minutes. Okay. Okay. So, so that's a pastor nugget. Swallow it. You know, just, just take it for a second. Cause I know for some of you, it's like, mm -mm, that don't work. I'm, t I'm turning this off. That's fine. But until you carry the mantle of a pastor, you have got to submit to the heart of God. And you're not, remember I said in the beginning, you're not always going to agree. When we read this story, we do not agree with the father giving his son, his inheritance, but it is not up to me to agree with. It's for me to understand why the father gave the inheritance. See the difference? All right. So we know that he squanders it, right? And the Bible says that the son took everything he said. He went into a, long, uh, 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 a far country, squandered everything through reckless living. Okay. Then it says that when he had spent everything, notice the language. After he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that land. I hope y'all are hearing me on this one. And he began to be in need. Can I help some of you? If you're not the prodigal son, don't worry about the prodigal son. I ain't get no hand claps, but I will clap. What I'm trying to say to you is what you cannot fix, pray for. Because the Bible is clear when it says that he spent everything. And a severe famine arose in that country, meaning in the country that the son was in. He had grace until he had nothing. 
And when he had nothing, then there became a famine and he began to do what? Be in need. In other words, just because he didn't go punished in your presence doesn't mean he didn't go unpunished. And for whatever the reason in the church, we have gotten to a point where if I do not see the punishment, then the punishment is not valid until I execute a particular judgment on the individual. Can you imagine how he was feeling now that we know the story? He had everything, stewarded improperly, spent everything recklessly, then lost everything and had to suffer the consequence of famine because famine indicates that there once was. There is no famine in a place that there wasn't any. Jeez. There once was something present. And now he has to hit a rock bottom to come to a realization that I am now in need. That is not your responsibility, those who are not the prodigal son. It is not your responsibility to kick them, push them while they are down. Because I believe that God, and as we read the story, will bring them into a place of realization that they are in need. Trust me, they're going to, the, 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 the Bible talks about God's righteousness and, and his judgment being righteous in his eyes, meaning that because God knows everything, he knows what punishment to ensue that's not based on his rage without grace. Whew. I hope y'all are listening. You have not learned that or earned that yet because your heart is deceitfully wicked. And because you make decisions based on your heart and not based on the spirit, you do not qualify for judgment that is appropriate to punish someone to get them to change. You have to have the right heart and the right spirit to enact a consequence to get them to change. All right, let me move on. So it says that he went on and he hired himself out, right? You can take that however you want. You know, technically he hired himself out to a citizen of the country with the famine in it. And that individual sent him into the fields to go and feed the pigs. Now, I don't care what anybody says. This is a pretty low job at this point. (laughs) So while the other brother is in the house serving the father, The prodigal son is reaping the consequence of his action, but it's not in your vision. It's not in your vicinity. It's not in your presence, but that does not mean that they are not being dealt with at the level that God feels is appropriate. It just simply means that you don't have a say in the punishment. All right. So then the Bible says that he was longing to be fed with the pods. Now this kind of, kind of, you know, we, we've, we've equated westernized the pods to be, um, slop, S L O P slop. But the truth of the matter is specifically when you start to look up the word pods, these pods actually come from a carob tree. Okay. And this particular tree, the pods are specifically utilized, utilize, excuse me, to fatten the swine. And the Bible says that no one could feed him. So here's, here, here's the crazy part, right? He's longing to be fed with these pods, which are carrot pods, that the pigs ate and no one would give him any. Can I help somebody? The prodigal son is so low that nobody will give him anything 
to even the point that he would be above a swine or above a pig. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. So look, this goes for all you prodigal sons out there before you start making decisions. Okay. Think this stuff through a little bit. The Bible says in verse 16, he was longing to be fed, right? With these pods and the pods were specific to fatten you up. And I believe that the Bible makes reference of these pods to show that he was fatiguing in this famine. He's not eating in this famine. Who is no name. The, the son doesn't have a name. He's not given a name, but the son has absolutely no way for nourishment. The pigs are eating better than him, which we do know, but the pigs aren't eating slop. The pigs are even eating appropriate food for them. They're eating these carob trees and pods that they also say are likened to John the Baptist. Not that, not that John the Baptist was necessarily eating locusts. He was eating these protein-based pods that look like locusts that gave him the energy and the strength he needed to live in the wilderness. All right, that, that, that's a whole nother topic. It pays to study your word, all right? And so it says, but when he came to himself, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. I cannot stress this enough. He had to come to his own self. And God knew the story tells us, the parable tells us it will happen. Whew, I hope somebody dances right there. So for those of you who are listening and you have a prodigal son and a daughter and a husband and a wife and a friend, whoever, I just want to encourage you that they will come to themselves. They will come to themselves and say, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here from hunger. In other words, the scripture is telling us that at the end of the day, he finally got desperate enough, hungry enough, not thirsty, but hungry enough. And we could talk about that another time because there's a difference between the hunger and the thirst. He finally got hungry enough where he said, what am I doing? I'm looking at my environment and that wasn't enough. I spent everything and that wasn't enough. The famine wasn't enough. It wasn't until something inside of me got so hungry and so desperate that I said, what am I doing? Because notice his language. How many of my father's hired servants have more than bread? In other words, he finally got low enough to the point that he's comparing pigs' pods to bread. Even they get bread. There are even references in the New Testament that talks about the crumbs. He was low. He was low. But I want to encourage you that God will allow them to come to themselves so that way they can come back. All right, because I only got a little bit more time. Okay, 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 okay. So the Bible says he got up at the moment that he realized that he got up. And he started having a changed heart at the moment that he got up up how do we know that because the bible says that the first thing that he did was he prepared a speech of repentance i hope y'all are really paying attention to this he prepared a speech of repentance and he said father i have sinned against heaven and before you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants in other words 
I don't care where I have to be. (laughs) My God, I don't care where you put me. Just please don't ever take me out of your presence ever again. Don't allow me to make a foolish decision to come up out of your presence ever again. My God. And so the Bible says that after he prepared this speech, he repented in his heart. He prepared this speech. He walked back to the father's house. He said, forget this. I'm out. (laughs) He rose and he came to his father. But the Bible says clearly while he was afar off, the father saw him, which lets me know that the father was in a position waiting for him. It doesn't say he knocked on the door. It doesn't say that a servant saw him and went to go get the father. The Bible says that while he was still a long way off, the father recognized him. The father saw him and felt compassion. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> let me tell you something. Let me let me let me tell you something. There is no greater feeling than when the Lord and you have this moment where he's ready to move on your behalf. In other words, what I'm saying to you is compassion gets God's attention. Repentance gets God's attention. And the Bible says that he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. They had this embrace. And then it says, and the son said to him, meaning the son, the prodigal son says to the father, I sinned against heaven before you. He's laying it all out on the line. Right. Because the Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another. So so here's the process for the son. He realizes how low he got. He finally comes to the realization like no matter no matter what, no matter how silly I was being at the moment that I wasted my inheritance. Even if I came back as a servant, my father's house is still better than this. And so he repented. He prepared a speech to give to his father. And when he gave the speech to his father and he told his father, I sinned against you before heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father is so moved, right? Because it tells you in the verse prior that he's moved with compassion. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I don't have time to deal with that, but study exactly the robing, the garments that are being put on the son. Oh, Jesus. Because it's not just metaphoric, it's prophetic. All right. So, and then he says, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. Now, I want to say something really quickly about the fatted calf. Just, just very quickly. You will notice that at the moment that this fatted calf is being talked about in Luke 15, I think it's around about verse 23. This is officially the celebratory metaphor. All right. In other words, the same way that the father was waiting for the son is the same way that this calf was being prepared for his arrival. Okay, I think you've missed that because I've missed that numerous times as well. The Bible doesn't say that they waited until the calf got fat. (laughs) The Bible says that bring me the fatted calf that I've been preparing for this moment gosh bring it to us kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate all right all right you'll 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 catch it later okay because i only got a few more minutes so so right so 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 now we're gonna go to 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 the next verse right and we're gonna see that the bible says for this my son was dead and is alive he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate okay And, and all of this has so much meaning to it i just don't have time to get into all of it but i promise you I'll do another another podcast just about this because it's, it's, it's heavy in the meat, all right? 
here's where I wanted to get to, right? The story continues that there's an older brother. We talked about him in the beginning, okay? And the Bible says that the older son's in the field. And as he came and as he drew near to the house, he heard all this dancing and he heard all this, you know, stuff going on. And so he says, hey, he calls out to one of the servants and he goes, hey, yo, like, like what's going on with everything? And the servant says, hey, your brother came back and your father killed the fatted calf for him. All right. This, 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 this calf that's been being prepared for a moment, this moment, your father killed it because he received him back safe and sound. And the Bible says that the older brother was mad. Ugh. The older brother was furious. He was mad. And here's the part that I want to get to as to why us as pastors are extremely tired. Ready for this? The son who was in the house doing right could not see the significance of a lost soul being saved. Now, let me make it very clear. It wasn't just any lost soul. The brother was mad about the fact that he once lived in the house. He made a decision to leave the house. And because of his silly decision, you decided to let him back in. And now you're killing the best of the best animal, having a party, giving him a ring. You're treating him as if I haven't been here the whole time serving. We've read this, we've heard this, you guys have probably heard it and read it a thousand times. But here's the part that got me. You ready for this? I said all that, I said all of this to say this. <laughs> Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. That's what I came to get to today. It's not enough that you throw in a temper tantrum. Because you don't feel like the person who left should be celebrated the way that they are. But then you have the audacity, older brother, to refuse to be a part of the celebration. You asking me what exactly are, are us pastors tired of? I'll tell you exactly what we're tired of. We are tired of the older brother not coming in. We are tired of the older brother who feels more entitled, holding hostage their gifts, their talents, their abilities, their mentorship, their love, their compassion, their forgiveness, for the immature or for the younger brother who has finally learned a more valuable lesson than the one that was in the home. Natasha, what are you talking about? I'm simply saying that the story tells us that there is a greater heart for those that fall away and come back than those who have gotten comfortable living in the house with the father but not having a relationship with the father. Ugh. 
the priority now for the pastor becomes, how do I keep my church from dividing against those that fall away and come back and those that feel slighted because they never had a relationship with God outside of his presence? Okay, let me say it this way. While there is much to be applauded for those that continue to stay in the Father's house, it should not be applauded over those that finally found their reason for serving God. A lot of us, I grew up cogent, so you can't just join in. You got to be born in it. And you know what? Being born into something rather than appreciating being kept by it creates two totally different individuals. While the older brother is looking down and upset because their work is not being celebrated the same way, the truth of the matter is, is that the older brother is missing an extremely valuable lesson. The lesson is very simple. There is a possibility of living in God's house, serving in your local church, and failing to understand God's heart. This story is about the heart of God as it relates to sinners, as it relates to those that are repentive to the Father. The Bible says that the angels celebrate at one that is saved. But in the local churches around the world, is that our testimony? Not the one that we evangelize to bring in, but the one that we're struggling to disciple. Are we carrying that same mindset with them? And if we were to be 100% honest as pastors around the world, some of us who are great pastors, who are trying to, to have the heart of God be at the center of what we do, We are struggling, not with the prodigal son, but we are struggling with the older son. The son that feels overlooked because they, they gave it, they gave God and they gave the father their heart. The Bible says that in verse 31, the father says, son, you are always with me and that mine is yours. In other words, as I pointed out in the very beginning, I never gave away your inheritance. I never gave away what belonged to you. I never removed myself away from you. But could it be a possibility that maybe you too have not appreciated my heart because you too have not learned to live a life without me? I know this is mature and this is kind of deep for some of you, but really ask yourself the question. Because I know for me in my life, there have been moments and times where I totally thought I was doing the right thing. I told you guys about it in, in, in um, episode one, season, season two, episode one. I thought I was doing the right thing, sticking close to God and, 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 and doing what he wanted me to do. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything right. And the Lord had to show me some very valuable lessons. So much so to the point that I had to repent. 
because I no longer had God's heart with God's heart in mind. I was speaking on behalf of God and never asking him or telling him what I thought or, or asking him what he thought about situations. I was just arbitrarily doing it and then getting pissed off when somebody else who looked like the prodigal son was getting ahead. The son came and he said, hey, look, I've been serving you for years. I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat, never had a celebration with me and my friends. And the father is pretty much saying to him, because you never left. Ooh. I understand this is very mature for you, but please hear what I'm saying. You've never, ever had the same appreciation because you've never known life without me. Now, I'm not saying that you should just go ahead and do what the prodigal son did. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, older brothers who are listening today, is you don't have a right to judge those or you don't have a right to make it seem like your work and longevity means more than repentance because it never will. God is looking for us to have a soft heart to understand the possibility of living in the father's house is real. But if I never understand God's heart, I cannot make the local church work. Hence, I make the pastor's job harder. Because I no longer have the heart of God. I have the spotlight on me because I now feel overlooked. And let me say this. I'm sorry to the older brother that feels like they've been overlooked because there seem to be much more prodigal sons, much more praise to the prodigal son than there is to the older brother. Brother, Excuse me. But can I help you? Can I help you? The prodigal son needed the older brother to be just as proud. The Bible doesn't give us any more information because the principle behind this specific story was to talk about the celebration that occurs when sinners come back, reprobate minds come back. But can I tell you that from a pastor into discipleship, into apostolic, into mentoring, into all of those other veins, we still need the older brother. Not to look down on the prodigal son, but we need the older brother to teach us and to show us how to stay faithful. We need the older brother to teach us and show us things. And I already hear some of you in the spirit. They don't want to listen. They don't want to listen. Bro, sis, they didn't listen to the father. But you, the last time you tried to make an impact was before the repentance. Oh, Jesus. Have you tried again since they've repented? Or are you standing outside refusing to go inside, making the father come out to you? Hear me and hear me clearly. You don't have to come in and celebrate. The angels will do that. You don't have to come in and, and, and be a part of the celebration. But please don't make the father come out and come get you. But if that's what you need, older brother, if you need the father to come out and come get you the same way the prodigal son came back to the father, then please be encouraged that God will do that for you too. I know for some of you, this is like, wow, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I fit into this category. Here's all that I'm really trying to say. The story started that the prodigal son was in the wrong and he was, and he suffered for it. He already had his consequences. But by the end of the story, it shows that the older brother is in the wrong. 
And the older brother is in the wrong because he started to build up a pride and a judgment about him that could not even celebrate in the notion that his brother had finally repented. He wasn't the quote unquote spoiled brat anymore. He had matured and was willing to even be a servant underneath the older brother. As long as he was close to the father again. And I know that the enemy is doing everything in his power to make sure that there is a divide between the pulpit and the pastors. I mean, the pulpit and the pews. I know that the enemy is doing everything in his power to make it seem like everyone is overlooked. But the trick and the key to this story is very simple. If you're going to make it, you got to have the father's heart. Don't worry about what's going to the left of you or what's happening to the right of you. You have got to have the father's heart. Amen. So I know that this seemed more like a like a sermon or or like a message. And, 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 you know, I can do a part two on pastors are tired. But please hear me from from pastor, from a pastor, one of the millions of pastors around the world. Older brothers, we see you. Younger prodigal sons, we see you. The goal of the kingdom is that everybody's rejoicing, though. Not that there's a divide because the prodigal son acted the way that his name says he should, prodigal wasteful. At the moment of repentance, though, older brothers, we need you there, a.k.a. older sisters, older members, those that have been in the faith. We need you right there with us at the party. Not angry and, and, and judging and throwing stones like the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. Because that's invent- eventually what you will become. What made the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, what made them so hypocritical is that they could not accept the heart of the Father. And I'm asking anybody who's listening to me that is in the older brother place, do not become so hypocritical that you lose the heart of the Father. They, meaning the prodigal son, already has their their bottom prepared for them. Let God work. Because as you can see at the end of this story, the prodigal son comes home with a whole humbled disposition. Father God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this time. This was an extremely difficult podcast. I pray, God, that people would hear it and not be offended by it, but that all of us will take an opportunity to kind of look within ourselves and say to ourselves, hmm, if this is me, humble me again, God. Lead me to a place of repentance so that all I see is your heart. We believe that it is so. In Jesus' name, amen. So listen, guys, once again, um, I know that this one was 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 very long. I promise you the next one will not be too long. Thank you guys for listening to, you know, what the Lord has been putting in my heart and in my spirit. If you can, if you have topics that you want me to talk about, as always, please send an email to GWG at GWG podcast at Yahoo.com. Tag, like, share, use our hashtags GWG Nation. GWG, hashtag NLD, any of those podcasting. Um, So that way we could kind of get God's glory around this globe and around this world. But I love y'all, genuinely. I love you guys with all my heart. And I hope y'all still like me after this podcast. All right. Uh, So listen, as always, the point of this podcast is to make sure that in everything that you do, 
you go with God. And so I'm asking you guys just to remember in everything that you do, make sure that you're going with God. Love y'all. Peace.